Quality sleep is essential for boosting energy, recovery, and well-being. So take your sleep to the next level with Sleep Number. With a Sleep Number smart bed, you can individualize your comfort level and enjoy a better sleep night after night. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now the Queen Sleep Number C4 smart bed is only $1,599, a saving of $300, only for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, before we get the show started, I wanted to let you know we are giving away a bunch of brand new black magic gear. Yeah, cameras, switchers, DaVinci Resolve licenses, a bunch of awesome stuff. So stay tuned to learn how you can enter to win free gear from Black Magic, and we're going to tell you all about it later on in this episode. Now cue the music. Hey, welcome to the 86th episode of Just Shoot It, a podcast about filmmaking, storytelling, and directing. I'm Matt Enlow. And I'm Warren Kaplan, and today we have Alana Cohn on the show. She has done everything. She's a woman of many hats. She's an actress and a writer and a producer, but most recently she created and directed a show for Awestruck. Uh, that's like a breakfast club type of show about parents stuck in a library. She was also, by total coincidence, I didn't realize this until she got here, but she was my roommate for four years when I moved to L.A. So crazy. I know. What are the odds? I think it's a good episode for people who want to be showrunners and also people who want to have lived with Oren. <laughs> but for real, it's funny to have um, someone who has so much history on the show with you and the way that it kind of, you know, in the episode, we kind of catch up on like how you managed to come to, you, how you both grew up together, basically. And it's kind of a, a nice little prior, a nice little follow up to our moving to LA episode in a, in a kind of coincidental way. So yeah, she's part of like my OG LA crew, which is something that you basically have to form when you move to LA. Yeah. Unless you went to film school, like Matt. You still, look, I just spent $100,000 doing it. Yeah. You bought your friends. Um, and we have a <laughs> I really, money for my I have a really good unpaid endorsement. So please listen all the way to the end. God damn it. Um, cool. But before we uh, talk to Alana, I'd love to know what have you been working on lately? It's the time of year where things are slowing down for us production wise and kind of trying, trying to pick things up for us. Uh, development wise so I've been out pitching a bunch lately a couple different projects actually and um, I'm in a kind of funny place where I know most of the digital rooms pretty well and like feel really comfortable in them but um, as we've talked about on the show I'm trying to level up a little bit more so I've been pitching to like networks you know smaller cable networks and things like that so I've been getting nervous in a way that I haven't been nervous in kind of a while because normally, you know, I'm I'm good at pitching, which is great, but um, normally I'm going into a room where I have a history with these people, or at least know them, or at least they're friends of friends. So there's there's a do you think that rapport. there's an element of when you pitch a digital show, you're pitching 
like 10 minute episodes, like two sentences might be enough. But when you're pitching TV, you're pitching like half hour to an hour episode. So well, you just feel, at least with me, I feel like I'm responsible for so much more depth and content and arcs and characters. Yeah. I mean, more and more, um, the digital pitches are half hour format as well. So I think that for the most part, it's the same, except for that in digital, there's not as big of an emphasis on multiple seasons. So like uh, an idea doesn't necessarily have to have legs for five years in the digital space. That's kind of the big difference for me, even like, um, you know, like mid form to long form bouncing back and forth between digital, like that 10 minute range to like a half hour range. Oftentimes, you know, the themes and ideas, all that stuff still needs to be there and the engine needs to be there. But, uh, to me, oftentimes the difference is an A story only in mid form versus in long form, you do an A, B and C basically. So, um, so the pitches can kind of modulate back and forth. I think a couple of them can be work for both formats basically so by a b and c story you mean there's like a main storyline and then there's like kind of what the like what jerry seinfeld's doing in the episode and then like what elaine and george Mm -hmm. and kramer are doing those are like the b and c stories right correct yeah so when you're pitching do you tell people like what the a b and c stories are for each episode or do you just tell them that there is an a b and c story i talk about it in broader terms so typically what'll end up happening is like your a story is going to be the most plotty and the thing that drives the stakes and circumstances of the forward uh, story forward more whereas your b story and your c story tend to uh be more relationship oriented and more side character oriented so i would talk about the characters that i've established in the pitch like oh the funny best friend well, in the half-hour format, I say the funny best friend, and he gets in all sorts of crazy adventures, like he's addicted to cake, and because they work at a cake shop, he keeps eating all of it, and he has to cover it up. You know, I give examples of the types of stories that his character as the B-story B character would often get into. Oh, I just thought of really good endorsement. But have you ever... <laughs> but I'm just going to mention it right now. Like, have you ever read the Lost series Bible? No. Oh, that sounds good. Google it. Um, yeah. So it's like J.J. Abrams wrote up this series Bible. It's pretty long. It's like yeah. 50 pages or something. Wow. Um, but he really does a good job of telling you like, so this is like the main story we're going to follow throughout the episode. But in each episode, there will be like little side stories. Like in mm-hmm. one episode, they're looking for water or they find like a communication device or right. we find out how somebody ended up on the plane that crashed. He's telling you what the A, B, and C stories are, but he's not using those words. Right, right. But yeah, so it's been super fun and it's funny. I called you after an early one last week um and it did not go great and it was like i was a little like i had mentioned because it's it's for tv and so i would think i was a little more shaken than i normally would have been and you know honestly it was really just i did a fine job the network was fine there was nothing wrong with it but um it just wasn't the right fit and i think that maybe I'm not used to walking into a room where I don't know the identity or what they're looking for quite as well. You know what I mean? Like I know the identity of the network and I know what they're looking for in a broad sense, but I think that like... Right, so you went into pitch your show to people and you weren't quite sure if your show was right for them and you were kind of like looking for that connection in the room? Exactly. And very early on, we all knew that this wasn't going to really land 
I think. Look, I'll hear back in a week or two, but you know, I have a pretty strong sense. Um, and you know, like I wasn't super shaken by it because I've done this a bunch of times, but it was like a little something and they didn't get me any water. Oh, right. You did mention that to me. And it's funny. People make the joke about like, I'm on the water bottle tour right now where you just go meet and everybody gives you a water. The reason they give you a water and the reason you should take it is because you're going to be talking for like 30 minutes. Like someone's going to tee you up and say, hey, so-and-so is really great. They've done these things. They're going to brag about you a little bit. And then they're going to say, we really love this show. Take it away, Matt. And then you talk for a long time. And then someone asks a single question every couple minutes or whatever. Just And then you elaborate. And so you really need like a little bit of water. Yeah. Anyway. I mean, it's also just polite to offer someone that comes to meet with you a drink. Yeah. Uh, to be fair also i think it was just kind of the circumstances of like i kind of got to the lobby a little bit later than the rest of the party so i think they'd already been offered and passed right (laughs) when you check in a lot of times they'll ask if you want water or coffee or anything right and And i'm always like i'll do the coffee and they're like how do you take it and i'll say with a little half and half and then they always mess it up and i'm like forced to drink this disgusting cup of coffee that's why you should drink it black well but today i had one and it went great Oh, so awesome. maybe we feel much better. Oh, that's good. I was on a real roller coaster, you guys. So you had a pitch today. I had a pitch today. Yes. Cool. Yeah. Well, cool. Um, Oren, what have you been working on lately? Well, Matt, thanks for asking. Um, I'm actually not gonna talk about it too much because I spoke. The most interesting thing that happened is I spoke to my brother yesterday, who listens to our podcast on occasion, and he told me that he doesn't really like this segment that much. <laughs> What? So he said, he's like, unless you guys are like really talking about lessons, I usually find it a little boring to just hear what you guys did this week. That's funny. I really like sold them. I was like, yeah, but it's like we're trying to like basically illustrate what the weekly life of like a kind of mid-tier working director is like by talking about what we do. And he's like, yeah, unless I can like apply it to me, I don't really care. Fair enough. Okay, then I won't say anything. I think the other thing that is important to communicate or I think maybe is hopefully it's helpful is that like it just takes a while and like to follow it in real time I think is I hope it's helpful it by it you mean directing directing or or just like or the nature of selling a show right or um like like your your show with new form that you've been pitching like yeah nothing's happening I was supposed to be in Canada by now (laughs) right exactly but I think that that's and you're not like freaking out about it Maybe it'll happen, maybe it won't. But I think that there's real value in understanding that like it takes a long ass time for people to read things and for people to like things and to, to Unless prep a your pitch. name is Tony Ascenda. Sure. Yeah. But but now people understand how that's a crazy lightning in a bottle sort of situation and how neat that is. Like I'm trying I think the idea of setting expectations and getting an understanding of the rhythms is valuable even if it's a little boring right and not to underplay like what tony did which is like he kind of built this body of work that teed him up perfectly for this idea he had so over years of kind of investment he set himself up for this and i mean even when we had paul briganti on the other day he's like basically i got snl and had to start like a few days later you know it's like that's that's the thing you are work waiting around for so long for something to happen and then it just happens and it's like you know, like, well, here on this show, Alana had to shoot her show in, like, nine days. So, yeah, it's all crazy. But um, I, I'd love to hear from our listeners if they enjoy these catch-up sessions, if they enjoy some of them that seem more applicable to them. Like, give us some feedback on 
on this segment and maybe we will adjust accordingly or not adjust. I think the lesson for this catch up for the both of us is that you should just have confidence in your ability to entertain someone while you talk for a few minutes. Sorry, what did you say? I fell asleep. Sometimes it's going to land. Some audiences it's going to stick and some audiences it isn't. Just so you guys know, we usually do about like five to ten minutes of a catch-up. So yeah. if you just <laughs> fast forward to ten minutes in. Yo, everybody's heard a WTF episode. So, oh yeah. Anyway. Okay. Well, cool. Let's uh, talk to Ilana Cohn. So, hey, we are here with Ilana Cohn. Hey. Better known as my ex-roommate. Mm-hmm. Thank you for being here. Uh, yeah. So, Ilana, I've known for many years. It's true. She. I know all, all your secrets. Is we actually our last episode Matt and I recorded was about moving to LA, uh, and she was the first person I lived with when I moved to LA. Yeah. So my move to LA was twice as difficult as most people's. Wait. <laughs> Just kidding. I, I thought I made it so easy. So we lived in West Hollywood together, mm-hmm. and Sweets are in Delongpre, also known as the Substandard. The Substandard mm-hmm. because it's right by right beneath the Standard Hotel, That's and great. also yeah. because it was very Substandard. I do sometimes wish that. Like I lived in like a really disgusting place because, you know, now my wife basically doesn't allow anyone to film in our house because if they make like a scratch on the wall, it's like we notice it. It's annoying. But when you live in places like that, I mean, a lot of so many. (laughs) Yeah, we filmed everything in our apartment. There was fake blood all over my walls from shooting the Slaughter Sisters. (laughs) Yeah. And it never, I couldn't get it off. And I was like, well, yeah, someone will move in. Yeah. Alana did a show called The Slaughter Sisters. There was a I did a series that was just based off being friends with the Butcher Brothers. Oh, oh yeah. Who have like, been on this podcast, Mitch yeah. and Phil. Yeah. And I was like, oh, let's do the Slaughter Sisters. So I roped my makeup artist friend into acting in it with me. And the the premise was like a live action, itchy and scratchy, you know. Sure. Part, mm-hmm, that, that sounds great. Where they just kill each other, but we're like in lingerie. Sure. So, <laughs> yeah. yeah. So, so, um, did you guys know each other before moving in, or how did you guys find each other? We met at a roller skate party. Yeah, I mean, we. She actually knows um, this producer that I know, Joseph McAleer. She was friends with his wife. Uh-huh. Yes, and no, I knew. I was friends with. Oh, sorry, you were friends with his ex-girlfriend. Yeah, <laughs> oh, man, you were friends with his ex-girlfriend. Yes. Anyway, and Joe and I worked on. We did all, a bunch of movies together. He produced my first movie and. And yeah. Sam, we were all kind of in a crew, which is like something we always talk about moving to sure. L.A. It's like if you can kind of build the crew. And the cool part is like most of us are still working in film in some capacity. And Lana was actually uh, a camera assistant. I was for like two years. So I was a loader because we were still shooting sure. film. Yeah. And my very first job, I lied and said that I had done it a bunch of times and I had practiced a bunch of times. Mm-hmm. But I get to the desert at 4.30 in the morning. We're shooting a Backstreet Boys video and running two. I was, it was for Joseph Kahn, who I worked for as oh, an assistant. Cool. Weren't you shooting like a thousand frames per second We or shot two high-speed cameras all day. The whole video is slow motion. And so film, there, you know, you can only the load. The cans are 400 uh, feet. feet. Sure. And, and just for people who don't remember film like the loader like literally you've got you've got a tent right that you stick well, your I, hands in we ha- you have a truck so uh-huh. you have a truck and you have a dark room in the back of the truck 
I had space, but it was so fast. I was just running back and forth from the dark. And it wasn't fast mm-hmm. because I'd never done it before. So right. it's not like I had like a lot of experience and had it down. Sure. So I was just like sprinting, running back and forth. I dropped a mag uh, in the dark room and it unraveled. And I just like burst into tears. And like, <laughs> what did you do? I shoved it into a garbage bag, <laughs> like tied it off. It hadn't been shot yet. Put it. No, it was shot. <laughs> Are you serious? Yes. And I stuck it in the corner and I was like, I'm going to deal with that later. And I just was like, okay, calm down, calm down. And I just like pep talk myself and like dealt and just dealt the whole day. And just gradually, like as I had time during the day, I just manually rolled the roll back. back. Yeah. I was just consistent for like uh, maybe a year and a half. And then I was a camera assistant for guys he worked with. So I continue to work like for him. And she was also in Joseph Kahn's movie, Detention. Yes. I, oh. I auditioned for his movie. Well, I had done, I'd gone to the table read and I read a bunch of characters and he was like, you should be an actor. And I was like, yeah, that's what I've been trying to do for five years. And he was like, you're really good. And I was like, cool. Can I be in the movie? He's like, yeah, you'll have to audition. I was like, great. And so. by the way, for those that don't know Joseph Kahn, he directed like the Bad Blood music video. He directed yeah. the Power Rangers like fan film. He's reboot. basically the biggest music video director for like still pop music. Kicking, he did Toxic, right? Britney Spears Toxic. Yeah. Um, I talk about the shoot that I was a PA on for him. It was a Jamiroquai music video that I got fired off of. I'll tell you what happened on that video. They were shooting film, okay? But they had a video tap and they were capturing the video to an editing system mm-hmm. while we were shooting. The whole music video was storyboarded like mm-hmm. to the frame, yeah. to the music. And as they were shooting, they were getting the video into the editing system and there was an editor on set cutting, cutting the music video. In. So yeah. like... The director could go and be like, let's see how that works. Let's see how that works. Oh, let's actually do one more take and like make him do this. It'll transition better to the next shot. It's like luxury first class filmmaking is like you're actually seeing the movie edited like in real time. time. And he does that with his movies too. Oh, really? Mm -hmm. Wow. Just to back up to introduce Alana a little bit more because she's clearly been a camera assistant and a camera loader Mm -hmm. and an assistant and an actor. Mm-hmm. And she's also like a writer and a director and a producer and a creator. It's too uh, many hats. Yeah, she's done everything. She's here today because she just directed a show for Awesomeness. For Awestruck, but they're they're under Awesomeness. Awesomeness is like the parent company. And what's Awesomeness? That is a great question. Uh, <laughs> Matt, do you know? Uh, yeah, I think I could feel this one actually. Awesomeness was uh, like a YouTube brand basically started by Brian Robbins who used to be on Head of the Class and no one ever talks about it. I right. love that show. And me he, too. He was um, like the cool- the bad kid. Bad kid. Yeah. Yeah, yeah totally. Um, but wasn't he like some high mucky muck guy at DreamWorks or something? Yeah, he kind of, he ended up- um, Directing a bunch of stuff and like started this company basically like as his kind of like digital a, his, his digital play and it was like a youth oriented sort of play like not unlike a Nickelodeon or mm-hmm. like not MTV but you know tween lifestyle basically okay. um, and then that kind of evolved into more sketch comedy and um, Awestruck spun off of that through their association with Big Frame I think actually which was their management company that they bought. Um, that I used to be with, hence the hence um, you know all these things. the knowledge yeah. of that stuff. Yeah, I just went to their new space, awesomeness, and it's pretty awesome. Yeah, like yeah. they're they're ex- 
exploding. And yeah. DreamWorks owns, uh, I think DreamWorks and Verizon own kind of like co-own Stop majority of it now. Okay. Yeah. yeah. And like back when I was there, it was like 20 people and now it's 500, I want to say. Something, yeah. Something around, bonkers. Yeah. It's around that. But your show is... Um... So my show is part of Awestruck and Awestruck is geared towards parents, like millennial parents. I pitched in April or March a couple of ideas for shows that were in one location. And how did you get to pitch to them? From you, actually, because uh, oh. Victory. Oh, forget about that. Who you no, worked with kidding. at Take 180. Um was there and I knew she was taking pitches for new shows and they were trying to go, everything they've done so far on Awestruck has been unscripted. Mm-hmm. And they're trying to move into scripted. So this is actually their first scripted series. Hey, congrats. And That's it's great. branded, right? It is branded. So originally I pitched, we did it. It was supposed to be kind of like a sort of dark, edgy uh, Jersey show. All right, Alana's from New Jersey. I'm from New Jersey, everything I do. Is based in New Jersey because yeah. of my people. <laughs> she beat Matt and I up right before this podcast. I did. Just to remind us. That's right. Watch out. And then they pitched the idea to JCPenney and they wanted to make it a little mm-hmm. less edgy. So uh, we, made, we made it like a Midwestern school that these parents are. It's a, a group of parents that get trapped in a library a la Breakfast Club. Mm-hmm. And... Then, so it was Peoria PTA was the title of this show. Peoria being a city from in New Jersey. In Illinois. So it was in Pat- Illinois. It was Patterson PTA, <laughs> then it was Peoria PTA after JCPenney got involved. Sure. And then there was some big weird shooting in Peoria, and they were like, yeah, let's yeah. change it back to Patterson. And I was like, great. So I changed all the references in the scripts <laughs> back to New Jersey. Oh, really? And that's what you shot? Yeah, but then they were like, we can't call it Patter. We don't want to use PTA. There's some like weird legal stuff oh, about Paul using- Thomas Anderson. That yes, a-hole. Paul, he <laughs> was threatening to sue. No, I think it's, I, I don't understand how or why, but for some reason we couldn't use- The lawyer said no, basically. Yeah, right. no on yeah. PTA from legal. So uh, the series is now called Overdue. Mm-hmm. And cool. Because there's someone pregnant stuck in the room? There's someone pregnant stuck in the room. And, and there's also a romance between one of the moms. I don't want to give it away. Oh, in a library. In the library. So it's all, you With know, the candlestick. All connected. Yeah. But it's fun. It's a fun series. It looks beautiful. Hopefully people will watch it and enjoy it. And you were the creator, showrunner, and directed some of the episodes. I directed just one episode, which I was glad that it was just one because sure. yeah. it was a lot to do. And... Our time frame was bananas. I mean, we started writing at the end of August. Mm-hmm. How many episodes? Six, How 10 long? to 12 minute episodes. That'll okay. probably get cut down to more sure. like seven and yeah. a half, eight minutes. I heard a new term for that runtime, huh. mid-form. Mid-form. That's Isn't that a good, nice? Yeah. Because it's not short form and it's, it's not... not it's not long form. Half hour, but it's not... And I think also maybe it kind of indicates like... Oh, we're taking this seriously in the way that it's not like a sketch or like totally a viral video of if which we all put it are, all together. It yeah. feels like a film, right? Exactly. Yeah. So we did six episodes and we shot them in nine days. It was cool. Fast. So one and a half days per episode. Yeah. Did you? I know people like say that. Like I always say that, but ultimately, was there like an episode that you spent three days on and like two episodes that you shot in one day? Uh, no. I feel like it was. 
pretty even-ish. I feel like my episode actually got the least amount of time. Sure, of course. I needed yeah. a lot more time. I and That's what every director says. I know. Right. And well, and as a showrunner, it's easy to kind of sacrifice your own yeah. show, your own episode. Because I'm like, the whole thing to has to work. Right, exactly. And you can feel but like... But also, you... people are trying to push you to give them more time, but mm-hmm. you say so mm-hmm. you don't push yourself. Right. Yeah, it was it was a tricky situation to be in. And I I enjoy directing, but it is definitely not my mm-hmm. favorite move. Like I, I am very good at seeing the whole picture and knowing what I want and building the world and building the characters. I think I'd much rather hire someone to come in and sure and agree with me and make it happen. Right. And just oversee it. I think, like technically, I I I understand everything. Like I worked in camera department. I understand lighting. I I can see it. But I feel like like Orin is so good at finding all the pieces and like mm-hmm. creating it in that way. Like the in the moment. Yeah, that technical stuff is. I think it's one of those things that just the you know the more you care about it, like the more you get comfortable talking about it. But yeah. it's like something that, you know, I think we are, we're always talking about how we're just like questioning ourselves. Like, am I spending too much time figuring out shots and not enough time right. like figuring out the scene or like the lighting or the. Totally. You know, it's a, yeah, we had there's the, no easy way. Yeah. And we had the added thing, too, of like because the script writing process was so fast, mm-hmm. like there was a scene in episode six that wasn't working. We had never rehearsed it with the actors. We hadn't, you know, we're like. Because you were writing it. while you're shooting? No, we had finished writing, but we were rewriting and fixing things while we were shooting and like punching things up. And the scene wasn't working. And we're like, you know, half hour lunch, sit down with Victory and Can the you tell other me, director. Just, I think it would be interesting to our listeners. Like, yeah. what, like, what made you realize that a scene isn't working? I think it just it felt too wordy. Or like plotty, like people were saying what they were thinking. There was just too much dialogue. Mm-hmm. It just wasn't like for the what the moment was. It needed to be so much faster, and it was just like dragging. And there was no. We were like, we have to cut this in half for it to work. Mm-hmm. So you're watching the monitor, and you're like, ah, this is kind of boring. Like not I, even boring. Just like this doesn't even make sense for the circumstance. Right, we have right. a pregnant lady who's in labor. Like she's. It's funny yeah. what she's saying. She's telling the guy off, but like, we got to get her out of there. She's got to get out. Of there. She's going to have a baby, you know? Right. And it's it's funny because I feel like when, you know, you're listening at home, it's like, well, how, how does it take this long to figure out that a scene doesn't work? And so often, you literally, you just have to be there in the moment in order to realize, oh, there's so much thing, so much that needs to change or be adjusted. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I think when you're on like a schedule like like the one you're describing there's not as much room for that sort of time to find things or like massage things the way that we're all capable of and would love to like spend as much time as you want to and it's Mm -hmm. like you know the job kind of becomes you know it's about resource management right and so it sounds like maybe part of the thing that you were saying of like oh i wish like directing one episode is so much or it was enough Mm -hmm. it was really just like you've got other fish to fry. So like caring about like the transition shots in between scenes feels a lot less important. I listened, uh, now I can't remember his name, but it was really helpful. 
He's an editor. Matt Barber, Eric Hissack. I was listening to the Matt Barber episode and it was actually really helpful. I listened a few days before and I was like, oh yeah, I really need to think about what those transitions transitions are going to be. Yeah. And it for sure helped me. And I had, you know, a couple moments of like, this is going to be an insert shot. I know it is. We don't need to get the wide. Let's move on. Right. You know, and it, it helped consolidate shooting in moments where I was like, but then I'm nervous. I haven't seen the edit yet coming this week so i'm also nervous that like what if that shot doesn't work or looks weird or doesn't cut right and then i don't have full coverage because i was like no we don't need it you know right but we were on a time crunch so so just can i just interject one thing about like the scenes not working and how you Mm -hmm. like you you were saying matt about how how does a scene work in the script and then all of a sudden not work on set and it's like walter merch talks about this in his book um, how like you in a script you write someone has blue eyes and it, um, you know if you see them on screen like 24 times per second like you're getting the information that someone has blue eyes because visually you're getting so much more so it's like something if you're writing like a pregnant woman going to labor and telling someone off because she's so pissed off in the script you want to make it a big moment so you have her say like a lot of things but then when you see it on screen you're like she's oh frowning. actually the performance yeah. is like telling us everything so we don't need to say all that stuff and it is something that you you just can't tell until you see it on set like you don't even know if the performance is going to be good or not before you see it so totally i mean i think that's uh that's a really great point and sums it up really well yeah well i mean it's just something that like i think as a director you have to be open to it's easy when you didn't write the script which a lot of times i'm like the script to me isn't precious and i'm like oh we know all this stuff like Let's just do a take where you just say like, hey, I, we need to go, you know, and that might tell everything we, we right. need to know. Yeah. And I don't know if it's because I come from the world of improv, but I, I am not precious about much. Mm-hmm. But you guys had you a know. writer's room too, right? So there's we a did. bunch we, of people. So any, if something doesn't work, you can blame someone else. Totally. But I, even my stuff, I'm not like, we need that, that work. Like if something is funnier or something works better, I'm like, kill it. There's no... I think you have to be flexible in that way. Yeah. I mean, maybe not. That's how I work. Sure. I, I think of yeah. somebody like Joseph Kahn, who is definitely not flexible in that way. <laughs> sure, right. At all. And he does his thing, you know. So let me ask. Uh, I'm, I'm really curious because, so the show, you know, you pitched it. You mm-hmm. ran the room. You're the showrunner. What do you look for when you're looking for directors to kind of take care of your baby in this sense? You know, like... Well, that's interesting. This was a strange circumstance because I was like, I really want a female director. This is like a female show. And what ended up happening, we had Awesomeness hired a production company to come in and completely produce it. Mm -hmm. So everything is... Which is really common. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Production services. Awesomeness is like the studio. Exactly. And the production company is the production company. Exactly. So... Play Productions came in, and because the schedule was so tight, one of their EPs was like in the writer's room with us, really got the mm-hmm. vision, understood everything, does a ton of directing. And Victory and I talked about it, and they were like, you know, what do you think? Would you mm-hmm. be comfortable? And I liked him, and he's great, and he did a great job. So it, we ended up, because of what it was, like to, sure. to go through the process of bringing directors in and mm-hmm. having them kind of pitch their vision of it it just was like we don't we just didn't have time right we yeah. really didn't have time so so did he do all the other episodes mm-hmm. 
And you did one episode? Yes. And did your episode shoot over like one and a half days? Yeah. And I guess your most of the show takes place in one location. Location, right? So it's we had like some exteriors, but we're supposed to be on the East Coast in winter. Mm-hmm. Right. Two weeks before Christmas. So we didn't have too many because sure. Los Angeles is tricky to cheat for East Coast winter. Uh it was it was challenging. And there was a morning where like the fog came in and it was perfect. Mm-hmm. It's like, ah, uh, can we can we do this right this second? You know, and it's like, no, the actors need to get ready. And sure, yeah, yeah. And of course, the fog was gone, and it was a beautiful blue sky by the time we were shooting. And yeah, lunch was probably nice, right? Yeah, that's something that, like, as you start getting bigger jobs, you realize that, like, hey, this the light's perfect. Let's shoot right now. Grab yeah. the camera. Yeah, it, like, just doesn't it just work can't. anymore. Yeah, I know. So frustrating, but that's how it is. Visual effects, man. Sure. Just add Bring snow. those clouds in. A little, little stock footage will get you there too, right? Yeah. Yeah. That um, is kind of, um, I think we've talked about it before, but like stock footage can really like save a scene or like a, a show, you know, when you really are trying to like find transitions that you didn't shoot or mm-hmm. set the scene or just kind of, you know. On Townies. Add scope. We, there's a shot, we did an establishing exterior shot and then an insert of, people playing cards in a saloon that we found that was stock. That's insane to me that yeah. like, it feels like it's our characters are playing cards and then we cut, and, and well, the characters are in a saloon playing cards, but like none of the hands match, any of that stuff, and it all totally works. Works, wow. Yeah. We, uh, the very first job I ever did at a different music video production company, a company called HSI, was finding stock footage for Kanye's Jesus Walks. Mm-hmm. He made three different Jesus Walks videos because he was like, I don't like it. I don't like it every time. And they were each a million dollars. I mean, <laughs> great. So I was just like looking for like explosions and volcanoes and like right. clouds parting and all this weird. And I was like, what am I doing? So crazy. Today, a friend of mine, a producer friend of mine, told me that she might produce a music video for a very famous singer named Pharrell. I think I, think I can, I don't care. Just saying it. <laughs> um, and the budget was like $65,000. What? Yeah. And it's like, and I was like, yeah. today that's like a big budget music video. Yeah, no. It but totally... when Alana was doing it, it was like a million dollars. They were a million dollar videos. Yeah. And then they would turn them down and reshoot them. Yeah. It's just insane how little money people spend on music heart. videos. Like I started doing music videos right when the the business just bottomed out entirely. Yeah. Thanks, Napster. Yeah. Blame Napster. The listeners are like, what's Napster? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So the show sounds cool. I'm sure we'll talk more about it. But I do, like when you talked to me about, when you mentioned your loading story mm-hmm. and how you kind of like fooled your way into that. It reminded me, like Alana would have been great actually to have on our last episode about what to do when you move to LA because she really like talked her way into so many things that she probably should not have been into. Oh. I remember we had a friend that had mentioned that he was going to go interview to be Todd Phillips' assistant. Oh my gosh. Um, <laughs> and I was talking to her on the phone. I was like, whoa, that's so awesome. You're going to interview to be Todd Phillips' assistant. Alana just heard me and she's like, Oh, where's he interviewing for that? And he told us whatever the name of the building. And so I told Alana. And of course, the next day, Alana like shows up at that building 
to interview to be Todd Phillips' assistant. And they were like, who are you? Where did you hear about this? And I was like, oh, I just uh, had a friend. I think I had an appointment. And they were like, go home. <laughs> oh, you didn't get the job. No. <laughs> it's not a good story. Well, no, it's good because, I mean, it's that's kind of like how, like if you're opportunistic and not like afraid to just go for things, then you'll Yeah, sometimes those places. things work out. Sometimes yeah, like you definitely you don't. That Backstreet Boys video. That's true. I did because that. Because of things. But but yeah, I mean, but Alana was always doing like crazy stuff like that. And I was young, scrappy, and hungry, guys. I mean, that's kind of how I got into like the first feature film I worked on, The Hamiltons, was I was just like at a party and like some, I overheard some people talking about casting their movie. And I barely knew Mitch and Phil at the time, but uh, I basically just was like, oh, can I work on that movie? <laughs> Amazing. Um, yeah, and I was the you know also invested some money in it, which yeah. made ev- everyone say yes immediately. They were like, right. "Sure, <laughs> you're you're paying to work on this." As movie? an executive producer slash first AC. <laughs> Hilarious. Um, so, what I mean, you've directed so much before. Like we did the Nickelodeon stuff before. Yeah, we did a bunch of stuff together, which was really fun. And you had your own channel on with Maker YouTube channel. And mm-hmm. is it okay if I mention who you're married to? Sure. And, you know, she's married to Liam Sullivan, who had, like, one of the first YouTube viral videos ever. Sure. A music video called Shoes. He got some shoes eventually. Oh, my God. Shoes. Yeah. He did. Yeah. And Alana, actually, when she met him, he was dressed as Kelly. Mm-hmm. Which and was, it's a good story. Great. I went up to... It was... We were at the Henry Fonda Theater in Hollywood. And it was a party right before Halloween. And I was with some of my gay friends. And after he performed, we like passed each other and I talked to him for a minute. I was like, oh, he's cute. He's funny. I like him. And they were like, he's gay. He's gay. He's in a dress. And I was like, "Mm, I like a challenge. So I went up to him. I was like, I'm going to make out with him. And I went up to him at the merch table. And I was like, I never wanted to make out with a girl before. And he said, I will totally make out with you. (laughs) And we made out in front of his merch, in front of the Betch panties. And when the kiss broke, I was like, I was dressed as Marilyn Monroe. He was dressed as Kelly. And I said, you know, I'm not really a blonde. And he said, me neither. He said, you know, I'm not really a girl. And I said, me neither. And I could see the terror in his eyes. And I was like, oh, he's straight. straight." (laughs) Yeah. So now they're married. Now we're married. And they have a child. Mm -hmm. But uh, they did a bunch of videos. I mean, a bunch of stuff together also. Hundreds of sketch comedy videos and i mean i guess you've been doing this for many years mm-hmm. um but what like what kind of learning like what did you learn from doing this uh the jc penny show from doing overdue with ostrak ah well it was interesting because it was like the a bigger crew than i've uh gotten to work with like or, or at least mm-hmm. be in charge of uh in a long time. You know, all the maker stuff was so like run and gun and the Nickelodeon stuff was kind of smaller. Mm-hmm. Um, just felt a little more compact. So this this felt bigger. I mean, it was it was nice to feel like we could really build a world out. And it, mm-hmm. it also probably had more to do with what the content was actually than, than you know, because we're doing a longer form scripted series where I get to like have a whole world instead mm-hmm. of it be just like this quick and dirty sketch were you more nervous that like everything kind of relied on like your idea and like your vision yeah (laughs) (laughs) i mean i think you try not to really think about it too much 
because the pressure of it, you know, you're like, I don't want to sure. freak myself out. There's but a bunch of people here. Yeah. I don't want to waste their time, right? Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, the good thing of it, it's it's weird because it hasn't come out yet. I don't know what the response will be. I'm still like, I don't want to like jinx it, you know. Um, but as far as production went, everyone was really happy. Mm-hmm. And like, this was really fun. This was great. This was so fun to be a part of. Thank you. Like, it was such a nice working environment, even though it was so fast and pretty stressful. Right. Um, everyone had a really good time. The actors were all like lovely and amazing and super gracious. So it it felt like something great to be a part of, you know. And how involved are you in the editing? I kind of, well, the truth of it is the budget on this thing is not awesome. So I didn't get, I didn't make a ton of money. Mm-hmm. So I'm back out hustling and pitching and writing. Right. And I am involved in like giving approvals, but I'm also kind of like backseated myself because I'm like, I, I'm sorry, I just can't come to Santa Monica every day and mm-hmm. be a part of it. I could if I had a trust fund, right? right. but I don't. It's funny how I feel like the jobs that you're the most excited for and scripted jobs tend to be mm-hmm. like at this level, the ones that pay the least. And mm-hmm. so you often, and they're the ones you want to spend all your time on, right? Like totally. if you could, you'd be in Santa Monica right now, you know? Yep. And then there's like that funny catch 22 of like having money jobs that you're less passionate about. And then like your series is like the thing that you take a hit on. Well, I don't think the story will make you feel good, but um, <laughs> when I did, you know, I, I did my movie whenever years ago and I was working at Disney. So I took like two months off from Disney, went to shoot this movie and I came back and while it was being edited, I was still, I was back at Disney mm-hmm. and that's basically, I was trying to kind of look at cuts at night and edit at night and work during the day. And like my work at Disney, I was like directing there too. It was like kind of suffering from it and I was getting like, I had just done an indie film and I was like, this, there's no emotion in this. I was like, so like <laughs> pretentious. I don't know. I was just like a jerk at Disney because we were yeah. just doing like dumb comedy stuff. And then I felt like I wasn't giving my movie enough sure. yeah. uh, time. And then someone's like, dude, you just like spent like, you know, so much of your life shooting this thing and putting everything and you made like no money. And it's like, are you really going to abandon it? Like 90% into the process of making mm-hmm. a movie? Like you're not going to. Like you, you've invested all this time and like the editing, you know, I always say this is like where you make or break something. Yeah. Like you can edit really great footage into really mediocre stuff or you can edit kind of mediocre footage into decent stuff, you know. Um, and so that's like when I quit. I told my boss, it's like, can I just work three days a week? And then he's like, I want you to think about what you want in life and come back to me tomorrow. This is Mike Dow. Oh, um, funny. And tell me what you really want. He's actually like felt like filled with a ton of great advice. We should have him on the show too. But yeah, um, <laughs> that's like pretty solid. Yeah, I'll right? tell you another piece of advice he gave me after this story. But yeah. he, um, so I went home and I, I basically just thought about it and talked to my girlfriend at the time. And I came back to work the next day and I was like, yeah, I think I have to quit. I'm sorry. Like, you know, you can hire me on a freelance basis, but I need to see this all the way to the end. And... I don't know, in my commercial work and everything else, I mean, I complained of mad about it nonstop. But when I'm like not involved in the edit, it like makes me really sad because you're on set and you see something so special. Tony Ascenda told us, I don't know if you heard his episode, but he said like the happiest you are ever is like right when you wrap shooting. 
everyone's like on such a high. It was so special. Everyone's like, that was awesome. Oh, yeah. So and the good. saddest is when you see your first edit. Oh, yeah. man. That first edit. <laughs> I just did oh. this this job, this Swiffer job. Did yeah. I tell you this? And like the client was literally like, you know what? The, the shooting was fun, but it was just so amazing to just like watch you work and interact with people. And I was like, wow, that's like, like people are really enjoying the process of mm-hmm. making this thing. Yeah. But then, you know, you, the edits are what the rest of the world is going to see. So Right. Yeah. No one, no one watches a commercial or a series and says like, I bet everybody got home on time and had a good time. Right. <laughs> but so, yeah. yeah. But so are you, you haven't seen any cuts yet? No, I have. Just not on oh. my episode. Oh, oh. And okay. you're happy with the other cuts? Yes. I mean, you're so the showrunner, right? So you can edit any of the cuts if you wanted to. Yeah. So, but, and I'm giving notes and, you know, um, my notes aren't crazy. There was one thing that really like pinged me and I gave a note on it and they didn't address it. And I wrote like a long email that was kind of like, you know, I, cause I was just really adamant. Basically they had used a sound effects. There's, there's like a moment where one of the characters is having like kind of a panic attack, you know? And, the editor uses this like super high pitched uh, bar, you know, just like a ringing. Yeah. Bar. Yeah. And it, I, I am, I have sensitive ears. I just I can't listen to it. I was like, if I, if turned that on and that was on, I would turn it off and I would not try to watch it again. It is, has to go. And I was like, and I gave a bunch of options. I wasn't just mm-hmm. like, lose it. I was like, you could do an echo. You could do a heartbeat. You could do d- noise distortion right, right. and like more of a bassy situation. But we gotta, li- we can't, we can't keep that. So things like that where I'm like, this is how this has to change. But overall, I feel like Victory and Jared are like in on the edit. They're doing a really good job. And we'll see. I'm going... You know, I'm I'm nervous about my episode because it's the only one I haven't seen anything of yet. Oh right, yeah. Because it's last and it gets the least amount of attention. Sure. But I do wonder. It, do you think when you see your own stuff edited, you're just like hyper hyper critical? Probably. Yeah. You're definitely. paying so much closer attention, yeah. obviously, to every single shot and setup and everything. Well, a thing that um, Tim Nakashi said on uh, an episode not that long ago was that like. Sometimes it feels like you're the only one who knows the thing you're making, you know? <laughs> right, right. Mm-hmm. And so there's that anxiety of like that being true, right? Like you are the one who really understands how it's all going to come together, even though we're all on set together. Um, and so you know if it's going well or not in a way that other people can't totally comprehend. Mm. And then when you see that first cut, can be the validation of all those anxieties and like that sinking feeling of like, oh no, I was right. This is bad, mm-hmm. <laughs> right? right. <laughs> is that's that's the worst case scenario for yeah. that first cut. Yeah. And obviously, of course, it always gets significantly better because cuts get better. You, music, music, yeah, sound. It it it's the worst version of your show always. Right. Actually, I take it back. I say um, auditions are the worst version of your show. Hilarious. It's like the it's like such a bummer. You know, because yeah. like, you know, and, and like actors are like, they just haven't been informed of anything. Like, right. Like casting directors, maybe you're telling them something that's right. Maybe it's wrong. You know, you get there. But like, it's always a work in progress, I guess is all I'm trying to say. Totally. But it was interesting too to sit in on something like this and watch everyone come and audition. Mm-hmm. And it was actually very delightful because I got to call my friends in. 
That's nice. And they're all very talented. And it was interesting to watch uh, the first round of auditions that are, you know, our casting director was great. You've worked with her before, Sherry. Um, yeah, Sherry Henderson. Henderson. And she uh, she had some great people come in. She found our lead, you know, like our main woman. And it was also great to like have our friends come in and just knock it out of the park. Mm-hmm. And to see why some things don't work. Like, oh, if this character is brunette, this one has to be blonde. Right. You know, things that have nothing to do with your ability at all. And because this is sort of a commercial job, even though it's scripted and, you know, it's still... And and probably all television shows are like that. Like, you can't have a show where everyone looks similar. Yeah, you can't. You need diversity. You need, you know, so... I mean, I've had that complaint many times like that movie pacific rim there's two characters that look exactly the same exactly like two the same beefcake blonde guys and i love that movie uh, <laughs> i know it's not it. good i i know it is it is a bad movie that i <laughs> fucking love i've seen it so many times anyway but yeah it definitely has that problem now i feel like i need to go watch it nah, no don't it. watch it but what you should watch is thor have you guys seen it no, no seen you it. really liked it it's huh? really good and i think you guys will both love it Hmm. I, I can say com- confidently. Yeah. Yeah. I love Wonder funny. Woman. Yeah, Wonder Woman is awesome for a, a, a totally different movie. It's yeah. also funny, but it's more inspirational, I think. Yeah. Thor is just like it's just like a, it's one, a one of the best comedies I've seen this year. Really? Yeah. I'm shocked. It's really, really well done. Okay. Um, Who plays Thor? Uh, Chris Hemsworth. Oh, okay. It's the third Thor movie. <laughs> I know. And he's also in The Avengers. I have no idea. If you had said any other blonde guy i'd be like yeah that's right sure yeah chris pine more than yeah yeah um chris, chris pine no there's multiple yeah. chris pine <laughs> there's more than <laughs> there are chris pines yeah. Um, yeah there's two of them so what's next so you show ran you do you find because you do so many things like alana wrote for a tv show last year the beginning of this year i mean uh, she's what show acted a bunch she's done like so many different things do you find yourself Wanting to try to focus? Yeah. And the, I mean, show, the show was Tyler Spears' show, right? Well, it wasn't even his show. It was a show that he was working on. Oh, and it was Animal Planet? Yeah, and it was called Animals Unleashed. And it was a good writing situation for a mom who was trying to stay at home with her child. Sure. Who so, likes money? Yeah, yeah, who needs a job. And she also wrote for A. William Johnson's show back in the day. I mean, you've, you've written a ton. You've acted a ton. Yeah. You've directed and created. What's the... Uh, next is make a, an updated <laughs> website. Yeah. Get new headshots, finish my pilot. And um, I have some pitches out in the world that are kind of getting reworked. But it's really challenging because I'm also trying to have an income. And you don't... You spend so much time not making money when you're pitching. Sure. So I'm actually looking for a steady gig that allows me to continue to do what I'm doing at right. the moment. Um, if you guys like a, know of like anything. Like a job job. Yeah. Kind of looking for a job job. Yeah, yeah, but not like go to an office job. I mean, if I have to, if I can take lunch and go do pitch sure. meetings until, you know. Would you do development? Oh, yeah. Yeah. And I've done and, that before. I did and, that at Maker, too. Oh, interesting. That makes sense. And yeah. it was... Super fun. I worked with Kimmy Gatewood, who's now on Glow, and Horatio mm-hmm. Sands, and uh, Samantha Scharf, who was from SNL. I mean, it was a really, I was like, oh, development's amazing. Yeah, it's kind of the best. Yeah. 
it's all of the fun of producing, but then the security of it. Right. I think of that as like, oh, you know, like if you ever wanted to, if you got sick of the grind. Yeah. And it's like a super competitive, like hard job to get. So it's like as a backup plan, it's kind of a silly thing to think of. But Totally. Or and I feel um, like you're so mad that I said that I want to, I need a stable job. No, I'm not mad. I guess it's just, there's nothing more satisfying than like making I know. your show, right? I mean, it doesn't have to be making your series, but it could be, I don't know. I mean, development is fun too. I guess it's just like, I feel like off this show, off of other stuff, like there's a trajectory totally. that and doesn't include going to an office every day and I hope developing other people. that is stuff. the case. I just, I'm in a little bit of like, we got to figure something out. Gotta yeah, do something. That's, I mean, I think we say this on the podcast a lot, but that is like kind of the, if you want to work in this city, in this field, like that is just part of the deal is like you have to be okay with being totally stressed out and making a ton of money on Monday and being like broke by Friday, yeah. you know? Yeah. Um, And it's not, I mean, we've all been here for like almost 15 years mm-hmm. and it's like, it's still like that. Except I now was a nightmare to be around this week. I was like such a fucking roller coaster. <laughs> you were My like poor me. wife. You like yeah. last year. Every time we'd record, Matt's like, "Yeah, I got to wake up at six tomorrow. I got to shoot." And then I just fin- I'm wrapping this thing. And every day I was like, "What shoot are you doing? What I never heard about this." You're like, oh, something for college humor. Something here. Something there. And then this week, I'm. It's not like I'm shooting that much, but I was like, "Oh yeah, I got to go on a scout." And you're like, "What shoot? Like, are you what are doing? you even talking about?" <laughs> I am not going to work until 2018. Easy. And it fe- it does feel like that. And I feel like I think maybe a little true, a little bit of me being like, I need to get a job is just yeah. the pan- the post-show panic. Oh, right. You've got show crash. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Big time. <gasps> yeah. yeah. Show crash. Mm-hmm. Do you make that up? I I think people say that. I don't think I'm... But, but yeah, like the... Yeah. Yeah. Come down. It's, it's a hard. huge come down. I because on, it's such a high making you you're on mm-hmm. such a high. You're like you have a place to be every single day. On Instagram. People have questions to ask you. You're important. You have status. <laughs> no, I have you. nothing. And then all of a sudden, <laughs> whoop, it's all gone. Yeah, yeah, yeah. totally. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. you have to you have to find and make your own work. But like I think about how my year went. I mean, I made the least amount of money this year mm-hmm. that I've made. In a lot of years, and I've been mostly home with my child for the past three years, and somehow this year, this year is, is like yeah. my lowest, and I'm, we like can't afford to do this again. So I'm like, I need something while I'm build it. Like it's great that I got to do this, but I tell me if this is too personal. But yeah. like, how did you negotiate your pay on this project? I have a lawyer. I have a great lawyer, and and she still couldn't. They got you as much as they could get as you? As much as they would give, yeah. And I apparently was like the highest paid individual on the show. Right, but you also, but it's it was your garbage. show and it's your idea. And right. you've been thinking about it for probably more than a year. Yeah. And it's like based on experiences from your life. And it's like, you know, you des- you should be the highest paid person. And you probably aren't if you count all the full-time people at Awesomeness and all oh, that Oh, absolutely stuff. not. Yeah. Um, and yeah. so... Or, you know, the hourly rate that you're getting right? relative to basically everybody else. Yeah. Like, yes, the the check they cut you was the biggest. Exactly. But, but my hourly is, yeah, yeah. yeah. But let me. Is, is illegal, frankly. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Let me tell you and my philosophy. And it's true for all of us, yeah. you know. 
my philosophy on this because I've thought a lot about it. When I lived with Alana back in the day, I would like take every single job and say yes to every single thing because I had like such a fear of losing out or I would never ask for more money or any money or anything. Mm-hmm. Um, and it took me like so many years to learn that like, like I've been on the other side. I've like hired directors or creative people or writers and like, or actors. And when you, if I'm casting something and I want to, and we get the client, we get everyone to agree on the certain actor and we go out and we say, Hey, we want, really want this actor. It shoots on Tuesday. And even though we had, you know, we had narrowed it down to 10 actors. We have nine other great options, but we really picked one that everyone agreed on. Like if we called their agent and said, Hey, we want to book them. And their agent's like, okay, but you have to pay them twice as much money. Like ninety percent chance Most we would of them do it. Do. Yeah, I, but I think that it's hard when you're on the other side to like be convinced of that. But like, I don't know. I think it's like something you just have to work on. Is like, ask, if someone is offering you a ridiculously a ridiculous amount of money to make your show, and it's a company, and there's yeah. a brand behind it. Um, I yeah, think you just need there's to there's two things though, right? One, this it. is a great job, right? Yeah. Like you're show running, so like obviously the anxiety level of like saying of getting your bluff called is so much higher. And we right? went back and forth for a long time. Right. I mean, the contract didn't get finalized until our f- final week of shooting. Right, right. So this was like six weeks of negotiating. I have a big fancy lawyer yeah. in my corner and it's still, she was able to get it up a couple grand, but that was it. That was all they were going to do and they were going to drop it. Like they were like, there is no more. That's it. You take it or we don't do it basically. Yeah. Did you ask around other creators or like, did you have any comps from what they were paying other people? Yeah. I mean, it seemed like this is what they do. This is what they do. And yeah. just to put in context, I mean, we're not suggesting that you were drastically underpaid, but you have a certain lifestyle and you live in a house and have a kid. I live in Los and, Angeles. And, yeah. yeah. I mean, and like you the... need to, it's not like you have five roommates and you're eating. Right. I like, mean, the other thing is like I turned down story producing on a show that would have been a nightmare. I mean, a literal nightmare because it was a docu-series about North Korea. Whoa. So I would have been watching all of this horrendous news footage and interviews that I don't really want that information in my brain. And it would have been three months, but I would have gotten paid like triple yeah. what I got paid to work on this, but it's my show. You know, like, sure. so you... Yeah, well, tier one. Yeah. I don't know if you ever heard the tier system, but... You, you know, you got to give all all that money up for your tier one projects. Yeah. Let's, before I we I hate close, to end on money. I'm, no. Oh, no. Should we talk about something? Well, oh. yeah, I guess my final question is like, yeah. if if we have listeners that are either new to LA or moving to LA or are now transitioning into like directing, creating stuff, what, what advice would you give to someone that wants to go, you know, pitch, sell, direct and create a show for a digital network? Well, I think now for sure. I think first of all, if you're listening to this podcast, congratulations because this is the first step. And <laughs> and honestly, you've been like very inspiring to me, both of you, uh, in to just make it yourself. And I do have a couple of things that I'm working on that I won't even talk about because I'm superstitious that I really want to make. I don't know how it's going to happen, but I maybe it's a shift of focus of like making those things happen instead of looking for a job? Maybe. But if you're moving to LA and you have nothing to lose and you don't have a child to take care of, just go make the things. Just shoot it. Just shoot it. Scramble, get people together off Craigslist. 
just make it and you learn so much every time you do and right it's it's the thing you have to do and something else that alana does that i think is what a lot of people are afraid to do is she'll if she meets someone or knows someone that knows someone she'll just send an email and be like hey can i can you introduce me to this person i want to go pitch to them um and kind of do i do that Maybe, maybe you I do mean, that with you your good friends. You show did up to interview with Todd Phillips. So <laughs> I did, but I was I, probably twenty four <laughs> and like blackout drunk. Sure, so, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, but no, but that's like it's like all these pieces kind of add up to mm-hmm. like build your network of friends. Yeah, stay in touch with them and tell them, hey, I've got stuff to show you. Um, and then you'll sell something. Eventually, yeah, or make it. Yeah, and eventually I'll update my website and it'll have all the things. Oh, yeah. I guess how can we see this show? Where is it going to be? It'll be on Awestruck, but I'm going to try to, I got to, any web people out there that. Squarespace.com. I know, or Wix, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I know, Mm. I just have to do it. Squarespace. Yeah, I'm a Squarespace guy. Okay. Kara has a Wix site, but Squarespace is the way to go. I feel like Wix is simpler. That is not true. No. I don't think so. Okay. Wix has way more options and like there's probably like a thousand templates and all mm-hmm. these colors and it's like a little more funky and fun. Squarespace is like a little more serious, I think. They have like 12 templates. And they're you know? all pretty great. They're all pretty awesome and yes. right. real simple. Um, but uh, so check it out at Awestruck. I mean, can we find out more about you? You tweet, don't you? I do. I tweet at Alana in LA. I-L-A-N-A in LA. That's pretty good. It's a yeah. palindrome. Just kidding. It's not. It's not. Um, but it's so close. Yeah. But it's a palindrome for a <laughs> dyslexic person. Um, <laughs> Which is me. So. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, cool. Let's go into our favorite segment. Unpaid endorsements. Movie Pass, you guys. Oh, and yeah. I was so late to the party. Do you know Movie Pass? I do. So I don't. So it is... Uh, Ten bucks a month. It's a subscription service for ten bucks a month. Any movie theater that's in their network, which is most of them, basically except for like the real fancy ones like ArcLight, um, you can see a movie a day. It's like it's like a credit card in my wallet. I like sign into the app and I say, "Hey, I'm uh, outside the Vista and I'm going to see Thor." Boop, done. I hand them my credit card. The theater gets all of their money. I go see movies. And what's great about it? Beyond, I know it sounds. Crazy. Do you not pay for the movie? They so pay the, ten bucks a month. I pay ten bucks a month, and for then unlimited movies at movie theaters. Correct. And when I check in on the app, they forward my they credit that debit card with the amount of money that it would cost to go see the movie. So then, when I pay for the movie with that credit card, it just comes directly out of that. So there's zero balance on the card always, basically. So it's not like I'm just walking around with credits or something. It's, I know it sounds crazy. That seems... It's a business model. Like the guy that created it knows. He, he thinks he's... Spotify? Is that yeah, right? he kind of thinks he might break even or lose a little money at first, but he has some he has something down the road that will... Yeah. It's like Netflix, remember? I mean, it was like seven yeah, bucks was people crazy would mail you so long. those yeah, DVDs for that free. that seems insane. It seems insane, but it's awesome. And So if you see one movie a month, you break even. Exactly. Yeah, but what the the thing that I'm advocating beyond just getting to see a bunch of movies is that it feels like it takes away a lot of the pressure of um, 
the or the anxiety of like oh what movie should i see you know what i mean even though like the money was never like a huge factor of like what 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 am i gonna watch like i've got enough money to go see movies all the time but like it makes it just a little bit more casual in the same way that like you know watching something on streaming is is just a little less it's lower commitment basically yeah oh my god yeah good endorsement i'm in totally recommend it movie pass it took me a long time to like get into it but like it's great and i live down this literally down the street from a theater so i can just like walk to see stuff all the time I heard about it like Life a year good. ago from Andy Young, one of our listeners. Yeah, he was pretty into it. It was it's been around for a while and it was like 34 bucks a month for a long time and then just made a, the news when it went down to 10 just like a month or two ago. Yeah. It helps yeah. if you don't have children. Yeah. Yeah, cuz <laughs> yeah, yeah. babysitter money plus but I'm like, right. hmm, while I'm unemployed, maybe during the week I can Exactly. See, even if I yeah. just do it for like a month for Oscar yeah. season. Yeah. yeah. Which is now. Okay, so I have a bunch of bad endorsements. Mm. <laughs> Number one, if you live in LA, <laughs> there's a new Starbucks in Los Feliz. God damn it. <laughs> then this is, this is the fucking, I am so furious. I know, that I told this is you it's you're... a bad endorsement. Oh, man. Is it another? Uh, it's a Starbucks reserve. It's not bad Starbucks. It's a real no, Starbucks. No, dumb Starbucks. Dumb, dumb Starbucks. Starbucks. Oh, yeah. Nathan, for yeah. you. Yeah. Yes. It's Matt down the street. Stop talking about Nathan for you. Yeah, um, that's true. Uh, yeah, it's Starbucks Reserve. It's just like a real fancy Starbucks. They have like a bunch of cool coffees that you can try. That sounds so awful. Um, it, and he he's it's on <laughs> it's in between Los Feliz and Franklin on Hillhurst. And there's literally a Blue Bottle, a Maru, Go Get Him oh, Tiger. It's ten times better than all those other places. H, H Maybe coffee. not Go Get Him Tiger. I like Go Get Him Tiger. But if you want to go brew. work someplace, God damn. brew is the work. You know, I'll probably go there again. So I hope no brew people are listening to this. But it's like $6 for a cup of coffee. And you're like so lucky to even get a seat, you know, on the edge of their patio there. But Starbucks Reserve has like all these couches. Um, they have like, it's just like super comfortable. Their Wi-Fi, there was probably like 100 people working there when I was there. And the Wi-Fi was crazy fast. It's it's cool. And the coffee and you can just get like if you just get like a regular Pike Place tall coffee, it's a dollar ninety five. I'm so mad about this. <laughs> so the Starbucks so... Reserve is cool. I also this is also a bad endorsement because I haven't read the book yet, but you have. And I just bought this book called Writing for Comics by um, mm. Alan Moore, by Alan Moore that I heard is like a really good like writing about story, like how to create like dynamic stories and characters and what the problems is with a lot of writing. Um, so I'm excited to read that. And uh, I also got a new iMac that has like, if you guys are sick and tired of changing the batteries in your Magic Mouse, my iMac came with a Magic Mouse too, and you can charge it with your lightning cable, like the same cable that charges your phone. So uh, I'm really excited by this mouse. I've been really enjoying it for the past three you hours. show me it earlier. I was like, dude, check out this mouse. Those are such good endorsements. Um, they're, they're not great. Um, one of them is bad. One of them is terrible. I, but really my fourth is. endorsement mm-hmm. is reading scripts on an iPad. Matt probably hates iPads. He probably uses like a Samsung Note I need or something. Fire. I need fire. <laughs> um, but I read, I was at the Starbucks Reserve. I read a script on my iPad. I was writing notes on my MacBook and then like getting texts on my iPhone. And everyone in there was using Apple products and writing scripts and talking about studio stuff. It's just amazing. Yeah, that's true for it's like, like all of the I've just, just named, but also <laughs> you're not at a Starbucks. Dude, yeah, but I was saving so much money. Oh, and they have free parking. They have a parking lot and it's free. All right, that's kind of worth it. 
It is not worth <laughs> it. So I, I live in that neighborhood. That. You can definitely. You've park never there. been there. I've never been to that star. It, it, the Starbucks is a week old, by the way. Okay. So like, <laughs> it'll last three more. Yeah, definitely. Someone is like pooping in Warren's chair as we speak. Yeah. No, I mean, I am sad that probably in a few weeks, so many people have discovered it that like there won't be room to work there anymore. But two people were there that said, um, like on different, I've been there three times. <laughs> two of the times I heard a person there say, God, I hate to admit it, but I love this Starbucks. <laughs> um, and you live to- down the street from Cafecito Organico. That place is great. Yeah, but now my kid goes to daycare like right by that, uh. right in that area. But also uh, I ran into someone I know there and I made a connection. And I sent them an actor. and I mean, it's like, it's like a classic L.A. happiness. <laughs> okay, Alana. All right. Go for it. Do they have to be film related? No. no. All right. I'm going to endorse my favorite spot in L.A., which is the sweat spot. Oh, yeah. It's a dance studio, and it has brought me my happiness. And is it, it on has sunset? a very famous instructor. Yeah. So, And he's an old friend. Uh, he's been... So Liam did an off-Broadway show with Margaret Cho years ago, and... Ryan Heffington was in the show and was so amazing. So they lived together for a few months in New York while they were doing that Ooh, show. Liam and Ryan? Mm-hmm. Oh, cool. And uh, so, so we've known we've known him forever. He choreographed a couple little things we did over the years. And he also choreographed he, like Sia's music videos and and her uh, concert and everything. Yeah. So he's like the, the best chandelier. choreographer. He's the most unbelievably talented artist. Right. I mean, he is. Oh, he choreographed. If you guys saw the OA, did you see that? Yes, it oh, was amazing. There's all these like movements that they do that are crazy, and he came up with that. And Spike Jones just did an ad that is so oh, yeah. weird and with cool. the girl from the Leftovers. Yes, the perfume ad. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So anyway, that's Ryan, and he teaches classes in Los Angeles to pedestrians, and right. it's huh. hard. So I did not grow up dancing. I was a soccer player, and I started taking this class probably like over a year and a half ago. And for the first three months, I was just like flailing around in the back and couldn't, I never, I didn't know how to really learn choreography. You know, like I could mm-hmm. learn it eventually, but it took a long time. And this is like 20 minutes of instruction. And then like, and then now we dance. dance. Yeah. And it's totally a muscle, yeah. which is so cool. It's like memorizing lines or whatever, where you just work on it and then you can do it. Wow. And now I do class twice a week with Ryan, and it's so fun and incredible. Any celebrities in your class? Um, I don't know. I don't really pay attention to oh, come on. that. I don't come think on. so. Probably. I mean, there's a lot of professional dancers in that sure. class. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I'm still like, I'm not a professional dancer. Sure. I'm there for fun. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, so the sweat spot on Sunset on in Sunset. the best neighborhood in L.A. Yeah. Silver Lake. Right yes. next to Starbucks. No, it's not. It isn't. No, it's next to Alfred Coffee, mm-hmm. which Matt probably appreciates because their coffees are $7. No, that, that Alfred Coffee sucks, actually. Uh, Alfred, Alfred, you might as well go to a Starbucks. Wow. Wow. Yeah. I have, look, I'll, I'll lay out <laughs> where the good coffees are in Los Angeles. <laughs> okay, no. cool. Well, uh, thanks so much for coming, Alana. Thanks um, for having me. This yeah. was so fun. So we can find out more about you at Alana in L.A., on Twitter. Mm-hmm. Anywhere else? I mean, my website, but it's so outdated. Okay. But it's Alana Cohn. Alana Cohn, C-O-H-N mm-hmm. dot com. Mm-hmm. And um, when your show comes out, it's on Awestruck. Should that should we go to YouTube.com slash Awestruck? Yes. I'll probably 
do a post on my site. I'll, I'll at least get that done. If I haven't revamped my site, I will post about the show on my site. And it's coming out really soon, right? Yeah, November 20th. Oh, great. Cool. I don't know if we're in the future right now. In we are show. a little bit in the future. So you can find out more about the show at justshootitpod.com. We, we will uh, post all the things we recommended. You can follow us on Twitter at Just Shoot It Pod and Instagram at Just Shoot It Pod. You can follow me at Smitey Pileg. And me at Mr. Matt Enlow. Our show music was provided by the Free Music Archive and the artist Jazar. Uh, this episode was edited by Jay McAuliffe. And our webmaster is Ewan Williams. And we would love it if you can email us your questions, comments, concerns, write us a review on iTunes, give us a rating. All of that is very helpful. So thanks, guys. And we'll catch you next time. 